You're listening to Halford and Bruff. It's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. Oh, he's By saying if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. Well, I want to just jam this into the back end here. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Halford and his bro. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. And a happy new year to everyone. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Someone Happy say, New Year. Someone say something. Halford, Happy New Year. That's better. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Beginning in 2024, hour one of the program is now brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. In Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. You got it. You got it. Good Finally, one. was that your New Year's resolution to nail that read? One of them. Yeah. Okay. The other one is to lose weight. The yeah. Kintech one's going better. <laughs> Kintech one seems easier. All you have to say is Kintech. Just Kintech. That's yeah. it. We got a big show ahead. First show of 2024. We are excited to be here. We have a lot to get into and uh, what a way to kick off 2024. We have live, interesting sports going on right now. Canada, Czechia, from the World Juniors, quarterfinal action. Canada's down. one nothing to Czechia. About six and a half minutes to go in the first period. We'll keep tabs on that throughout the game. Yeah, my knowledge of the World Juniors this year is that Celebrini is a pretty good hockey player and that the Canucks, uh, the three prospects um, on Team Sweden, played pretty well. He's That's not it. the best in the business for nothing, folks. That's all I got. We will keep tabs on that I throughout am, the day. Though. I am a big uh, metal round guy. So uh, once this game is over, assuming the Canucks or the Canucks Canada come back and beat Czechia, then I will be an expert. The Canucks, works. If the Canucks can't beat Czechia, they got problems. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to do on the show today. We've got a big guest list ahead. Guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski. From ESPN is going to join us on the heels of the Winter Classic, which is about eighth or ninth on the depth chart of stories that we need to talk about. Is that reflective of the Winter Classic and its current standing in our sporting landscape? We'll ask Wish about that at 6.30. 7.30, Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. You know what? It's a new year. New things abound, but the Seattle Seahawks are still doing Seattle Seahawks things. Yeah. And by that, I mean not tackling, like at all. I honestly don't think I've seen a worse tackling performance in the NFL. I've seen a worse tackling performance. That was um, grade eight rugby between between McGee and Point Grey in about 1990. There weren't uh, there were a lot of missed tackles in that game because it was grade eight rugby. But uh, the Seahawks <laughs> against the Pittsburgh Steelers was. Honestly, it was just, it was pathetic. The tackle, I don't understand. I don't understand, Mike. I know you want to read through the guest list here. No, it's fine. But I don't understand how a professional football team, one coached by Pete Carroll, too. 
like one of one of like considered you know widely regarded as as a, as a really great defensive coach, a, a guy who um, coached one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. Can coach a defense like that? We can ask Mike Tanier about Ugh. that and that McGee team. The great eight McGee team. Uh, well, I mean, Point Gray wasn't very good at tackling either. <laughs> uh, Mike Tanner is going to join us at 730 for NFL Talk. Eight o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. It is a game day, January 2nd of 2024. Canucks Senators, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Tonight, pregame, postgame, and the actual game called by Brendan Batchelor. All right here on Sportsnet 650. So we'll talk to Batch about the Sens and the Canucks at 8 o'clock, working in reverse. 7.30, it's Mike Tannier. 6.30, it's Greg Wyshynski. I mentioned we got Canada and Czechia on now. We've got the Canucks and Sens, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena tonight. We also have a lot to get to. So, Laddie, without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We are going to begin with your Vancouver Canucks, even though they have not played in a handful of days following that very, very disheartening loss to the Philadelphia Flyers. Jason and I went out to the bar together as friends, not colleagues, friends yeah, to watch friends. together. Yeah, other people were there. It wasn't like a date or anything, but, uh, you know, we talked to each other a little bit. But uh, that was a really um, disappointing effort against the Flyers. And I guess we talk about that Flyers game um, in relation to what the Canucks have done afterwards, and that is practice a lot. And that is something that they haven't been able to do lately. Um, You know, they've had some times when they could have practiced on some road trips. Um, They have had a few practices here and there, but um, a lot of the time Rick Tockett has chosen to, for example, give the guys the the day off. A couple of times that happened on a road trip. um, And it was just, you know, because the team, because the Canucks had played so many games and they played a lot more than almost every other team in the NHL, uh, they needed the rest on certain days. They didn't need to be, you know, skated, and they need they just needed a day off. So they got that. Um, uh, but after that Philly game, <laughs> they had a few days off. It was almost like another Christmas break for them. They had their Christmas break, then they played Philly, didn't play well, and then they almost had another Christmas break. And uh, this time, Rick Tucker was like. Uh, <laughs> This Christmas break is not brought to you by the NHLPA, so we will be uh, practicing a lot. They practiced three times in four days, and I think overall that's the big news. Now, there were things within the practice that were noteworthy. For example, Phil DiGiuseppe was back on a second line with JT Miller and Brock Besser, Nils Hoaglander, um, who, remember, we said like the key for this guy is consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have two or three games in a row or a good game here, a good game there, but that doesn't keep you in the top six. You have to consistently bring it. According to Rick Tockett, I suppose uh, Nils Hoaglander has not consistently brought it, and he was the extra forward in practice and looking like a healthy scratch for tonight's game against the Ottawa Senators. The other thing to keep, um, well, there's a couple more things to uh, keep an eye on, but one of them is Carson Soucy. He's been hurt for a long time. Yeah, remember him? Tall, handsome, left-shot defenseman. 
He is uh, back practicing with the team now. He's still practicing on that fourth pair, so I don't. I wouldn't expect him to play tonight in Ottawa. But after this game against Ottawa, um, the Canucks go on a seven-game road trip, where I would expect to see Carson Soucy on that trip. Now, let's talk a bit about that Philly game because. It did not go very well. The Canucks were looking to an avenge, uh, avenge an earlier loss to Philly. Remember that game? Three games into the regular season, everyone was super happy about how the Canucks had taken care of the Edmonton Oilers. Then they went to Philly and looked awful, and everyone was like, "Oh God, we're going to do it again." Um, now that obviously didn't happen, and the Canucks had kept up their really incredible, surprising start to the season. But against Philly, they had a chance to at least right the wrongs from that game, and they made a series of really calamitous defensive mistakes that gave the Flyers yet another win over them. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole last two weeks have been strange. I mean, as a matter of fact, we're coming in on January 2nd. We're talking about a game from December 28th, and the Canucks' schedule over the Christmas break was light. This was really the only offering that they had over the last seven days, and it was not an especially strong performance, which is why tonight's game suddenly becomes really intriguing. Is it going to be a one-off where you didn't play well, granted, for the second time against the Flyers this season? And are these practices and are the things that Rick Tockett has been stressing going to come to fruition tonight? We'll play the audio from Tockett now as we stress the importance, yes, just like Allen Iverson so many years ago, of practice, talking about those key fundamentals that the Canucks need to get back to, staples, non-negotiables, things that have made them successful this season that got away from them in Philadelphia. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, heading into tonight's game against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, really, Bob. Was, we went over some, some stuff that we haven't gone over. Um, and it's good. I think the players wanted practice, uh, some touches. Uh, you know, I've heard some guys, you know, I, I want to get out there and get some touches, which is good. Um, yeah, and just trying to some five-on-play, five-on-five play scenarios we did a couple of those last few days so just to make it more refreshing like like a fresher thing you know like it's like sometimes we forget certain things and um i just think it was something that we needed to do what are we talking about practice we are indeed talking about practice alan well let's quickly discuss the goals that the flyers scored against the i know this game was a few i know this game was a few days ago but we all need to kind of like get back into the swing of things especially you and i and bruff's still very very angry um, no, 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 he's over it. No, no. I, I, he's over it. No. Not, not, a, not even a quiet angle. I didn't actually didn't expect them to play well against Philly. Yeah. They don't match up well against them for whatever I, I reason. I don't think it was that. It was just the timing of it all. They, they knew that they only had this one game. It's true. They were probably still in their Christmas break. It was still vacation mode. Don't you think that was interesting? Rick Tockett was like, Philly was way more invested in that game. Well, I think were, the yeah. Canucks were like, uh, we play this game and then we got a, we got a bunch more days off, right? And then, but they and do that twice against Philly. So it doesn't. It stand a reason that there's something matchup wise between those two well, teams. Well, Philly might just be a legitimately good team. Well, they are. That might. What? Well, yeah. I don't know really? yet. I'm well, still. No, they are. Well, I'm still not sure. Well, Philly and the Canucks. Well, th- I mean, a lot of people are saying that about the Canucks, but Philly and the Canucks are the two most uh, surprising teams in a positive way of the regular season. And credit to Philly, they play a pretty stifling, hard nosed way of hockey, and it's working against the Canucks. But back to those goals that the Flyers scored. The first came on a Philly power play. And why is this worth talking about? Well, it's because the Canucks penalty kill, while improved from last season, it's still a weakness. And uh, 
Igor Zamula. Can't stop Zamula. Was able to exploit that. And I was like, Zamula, Zamula, where have I heard that? And it, and I was slightly off. I thought that was the country that um, uh, Eddie Murphy came from in, um, you know, Coming to America mm-hmm. came from. And it was Zamunda. So close. Don't, don't be confused. Zamula, that's the hockey player. Zamunda, fictional country in Coming to America. Zamula, noted Canuck killer. Zamunda, clever place that Eddie Murphy came from. Prosperous nation. Prosperous. The Flyers made it two to nothing on a three on two where you actually did have to tip your cap a little bit to the diving pass that uh, Owen Tippett made to Sean Walker. Um, But you also have to note that the Canucks had three forwards caught deep, allowing that three on two to start. The guys out there were Teddy Bluger, who as the third man high did not play that very well, Brock Besser, and... Nils Hoaglander, who couldn't win a battle uh, below the goal line, and uh, the Flyers went three on two the other way. The third goal, I have to admit, okay, I'm still laughing about this one. I know a lot of Canucks fans probably weren't laughing when they saw this, but I thought, I think this is the funniest, I think this was the funniest play of the season so far. Um, In kind of a sad club way, Nikita Zadorov thought he was Bobby Orr, apparently, and he got the puck, and he started wheeling, he's like, Nikita's going to go coast to coast. Well, he got uh, not close to the other coast, no. and I joked on Twitter that he was stopped in western Saskatchewan. Maybe Alberta, actually. Maybe Medicine Hat uh, is where he was stopped on that one. He turned it over, and... Tyler uh, Myers Quinn Hughes can do this. Surely I can do well, it too. I, the, the best part was Tyler Myers was like fully on board with Zadorov's plan. He's like, yeah. yeah, let's do this. Go for let's, it. Let's do this. And he, he never like, let me do it by myself. He's like, he's like, I'm up the ice with you, buddy. We can do this together. And then he turned it over, and both of them were like, oh god. Uh, went back, uh, break away the other way, and it was three nothing Flyers. And at that point, the game was like the game was done. And um, well, I guess I shouldn't say that because it kind of. Kills my next point. The Canucks did make it 3-2 in the third, and we started to wonder, oh, okay, well, maybe they, they found their legs in the third period, and then they got a power play. And it was like, oh, oh, okay, okay, there's 15 minutes left in this game. If they can score on this power play, we got ourselves a game here. Uh, the Flyers scored instead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brock Besser, you know, if, sometimes you get into run into injury problems and you have to drop a, a forward back and play on defense. Um, Brock Besser will not be that guy. Completely lost his man in front of the net. He's like, I'm a forward. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do this. Uh, anyway, the Flyers made it 4-1. And I think it makes a good point about the power play because the power play, if you look at the rankings in the NHL, yeah, it's still probably a top 10 power play, but it hasn't been lethal in the last little while. And this is something that the Canucks need to clear up. So you've got PK issues, power play issues, defensive issues. This is why Rick Talkin wanted to have all these practices. Like, they they need to dial a few things in. Because, again, they've got a game tonight against Ottawa, which has already made a coaching change. Um, I don't know if it's been all that effective, but, you know, the Senators are still going to be a hungry team tonight. 
And then a seven-game road trip is facing these Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and Ottawa, it's funny that you brought it up that way because they do represent a team that's probably been acknowledged for what they've done off the ice more than what they've done on the ice this season. And they also just had another change in their front office where Steve Steos did a bunch of uh, interviews for who's going to be the general manager and then decided, I'm going to be the general. He pulled the Kyle Dubas. I love when they do that. So they also brought Dave Poulin into the mix. But I bring this up because... You almost forget that, oh, yeah, right, there's an on-ice product that's been largely underwhelming, in part because there's been a head coaching change. There's been a general manager change. They're 14 and 18 and 0. Uh, they're dead last in the Atlantic Division. But they come in tonight, actually, not playing badly. They've won three of their last four. Uh, there's been a slight uptick. So we'll see what challenge they present to the Canucks in that final home game before they head out on this lengthy road swing. And I guess we get to see Phil DiGiuseppe back on that second line mm-hmm. with Hoaglander out. And if you've been paying attention to the time on ice totals over the last seven games, this was pretty obvious that this was the way that this was trending because Hoaglander's ice time had dropped significantly over those last seven games. There was those back-to-backs in Minnesota and Chicago where he got less than 10 minutes of ice time. Yeah. The production hasn't been there. And then if you really want to start picking nits and looking at things, that second line is really all the offense is being shouldered by Brock Besser right now because Hoaglander hasn't done much of anything over the last seven games. And if you look at the numbers on JT Miller, he really hasn't done anything since the beginning of December either. The goals have dried up. The production hasn't been there like it was through the first three months of the season. So again, not- Well, on the shorthanded goal, that I don't know how many people brought it up, but on the shorthanded goal that the Canucks gave up to the Flyers. Uh, Miller won the draw, but they didn't, he, didn't, he didn't block out the guy that he um, beat in, in the draw, and that guy was able to pressure Quinn Hughes on the point. And it's little things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Little details, things like that, that end up costing you in a game. And in that case, it did. Now, GT Miller is tasked with a very large job, on this Canucks team. He's charged with, obviously, um, offensively and especially on the power play. Um, So we mentioned that the power play has struggled a little bit, so he's going to take responsibility for that. He also gets most of the tough matchups. Like, he's the matchup guy. And I wonder if having a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe might help calm that line down a little bit. I think that's the idea. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we know what we've got in Phil. Mm -hmm. We don't always know what we got in Nils Hoaglander. Um, We'll might have a conversation later in the show if we've got time about whether or not the Canucks need to address basically that second line winger spot or any of the top six. I I guess Kuzmenko's going to get a run with Pedersen and Mikheyev on that top line, but that second line... If you're looking at something to address in a trade, maybe that's the thing that you're looking to address. By the way, on the out-of-town scoreboard, very out-of-town, all very the way over in Sweden. Czechia is now up 2 nothing on Canada. Czechia good. Uh, so uh, Canada, if they're not careful, if they don't pull it together, they're going to be out of this tournament in the quarterfinals. And I don't know the last time they were out in the quarterfinals. Was it when we hosted here? Was it when we hosted in Finland? Finland that was beat the twenty seventeen, the Mikey DiPietro yeah, yeah. year, and that. Yeah, I'd have to I go back at, and double check. I was right. at that game. That's right. You were Believe wearing it or a not. Canadian tuxedo, an actual Canadian so, tuxedo. Um, I want to talk a little bit of football because um, we'll talk NFL later. I'm almost like so angry at the Seahawks right now that I might just leave that conversation to Mike Tannier. But last night. The Washington Huskies. Yeah, we're going to get some college football talk. Get used to it for the next week. Mm -hmm. Because the Washington Huskies 
are going to the national title game against the Michigan Wolverines. And the Huskies beat Texas, and they were the deserving team on the night. Uh, A-Dog don't giggle, but Michael Penix was brilliant. I think that was the best game that I've ever seen Penix play. Uh, Statistically, maybe he's had some better ones, but not many of them, and certainly not in a bigger situation than that. He was brilliant at quarterback for the Huskies, and I have to say a few weeks ago I was a little bit down on Penix. Um, he struggled in a few games down the stretch. Now, he always got the job done, and the Huskies got the win, and I know that because they haven't lost a game this year. Um, but there was a couple games that he played where his, it just, he just looked a little bit off. The you know his, his throws were sailing on receivers. and But last night, he was unbelievable to the point where I was like, mm, I wonder if the Seahawks should try and draft this guy. Yeah, and we'll probably have that conversation coming up. we got Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, going to join us at 7.30. We'll, we'll break down everything that happened in the National Football League. This weekend, we can ask him about the possibility of that because the Seahawks might not be in the NFL playoffs at 8-8, eight and eight, now no longer controlling their destiny. But you mentioned the Washington game last night, and uh, a few takeaways there. One, I forgot how long college football games are. That thing was on until 10 o'clock at night. That was one of the longest games yeah. that I can remember. College football was on for a grand total of nine hours yesterday. <laughs> yeah, there's two games. It just did not stop. <laughs> it was on for forever. Two, you got to see the beauty and also the frustration of collegiate athletics yesterday when you allow guys in their late teens and early 20s to go out on massive stages with high stakes and a lot of pressure. Sometimes they don't have the best decision-making ability, and that goes for the head coaches as well. So late in the game, it looks as though that Washington has this thing so salted away they get possession with less than a minute on the clock all they have to do is bleed the clock they're unable to do so have to punt the ball back to texas and then texas makes another late improbable rally Uh, do we have the audio on this one i love the final call of the national semifinals both games were fantastic like without question i lobbed a lot of criticism at the college football committee for leaving Florida State out, and then Florida State proved why they shouldn't be in there. That's a whole other story. But those two games yesterday were amazing. One well, the start of the Michigan-Alabama game wasn't great, but the ending was terrific. But they got the drama yeah. that they wanted, and they got the theater that they wanted. So for the Huskies and for our good friend Dave Softy Mahler from 730 KJR Sports Radio in Seattle, who was loving it yesterday, uh, here is the walk-off. It is Longhorns quarterback Quinn Ewers trying to complete the improbable comeback, and the Huskies saying, no, not on our watch. Ewers lobs it up, and it is incomplete, intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. So if you look back on the last two games for the Huskies, they had the Pac-12 title game against Oregon. And they had already beaten Oregon during the regular season at Husky Stadium. But the way they finished their season, although they didn't lose any games, they didn't look great. They barely got by Oregon State, and they barely got by Washington State in the Apple Cup. And they should have taken care of, certainly, the Cougars. They should have taken care of the Cougars a little more easily than they did. So they go into that Oregon game down in Vegas. And they were nine-and-a-half-point dogs. How crazy does that look in retrospect? Well, in retrospect, it looks crazy. Yeah. And they won that game. They played really well. And they took care of business against the Ducks. And then they get the Texas Longhorns, who weren't undefeated. They had lost one game. Uh, but they, you know, they're a good team. And the Longhorns 
were favored against the Huskies. Not significantly. I think it was three and a half or four it, points. It, it closed at three and a half. Three and a half points. So now they go and play Michigan in the title game. Predictably, the Wolverines are, who are also undefeated, by the way, are four and a half point favorites in this. And I bet the Huskies like that okay. because they can just say, yeah, we've been disrespected all season. And guess what we've done? We've won all our games. Yep. Perfect 13-0 and going into the national championship. So it's Washington's chance to win a natty. Although they didn't outright win it in 1991. They had to share it. Yeah, you used to be able to share them with the Miami Hurricanes mm-hmm. back and in they, 91. They claimed one in 1960, but that was really weird. They just were like, that's ours now. Do you know, do you know the story of it? No, but it was on Wikipedia when I was looking it up. There's like, they've claimed two. The NCAA says you yeah. only won one. Well, what happened in 1960 was they uh, had a good season. They only lost one game. They lost to Navy. Na- Navy one. was good back then. Yeah. Um, but then they got Minnesota who was the number one team in the nation in the Rose Bowl. But they didn't count the bowls back then. Right. They didn't. They were just like, I think, I don't know, the newspapers were just like, yeah, we're not doing the bowl games. It's like too. an exhibition game. So, um, so Minnesota had already claimed the national title. They were the number one team. They were given the, the – and the, but then the Huskies beat them in the Rose Bowl. So the Huskies were like, eh, we're national title champions. But anyway, so like they've claimed one in 1960. They shared one in 1991. And by the way – to win that national title, at least in the coaches' poll, they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so, speaking, speaking of Michigan in the Rose yeah. Bowl, they, of course, won yesterday beating Alabama. In, again, a really <laughs> – I hate describing sports as long, but it was a long game. I sat there for three quarters of Michigan and Alabama. Well, how long was halftime? Like half an hour? Yeah, and my my kid was watching with me, and they had the marching band. It was an old school, very old school yeah. halftime performance. Like Jack Harlow wasn't out there rapping to the kids. They had a marching band. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is how they used to do it back in the good old days, where they'd march, and then they'd bring out a horse, and then they'd march more. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun. It felt as long as he hummed that song. It was, it was. <laughs> but anyway, the ending was fantastic. Michigan wins it in overtime after a really questionable play call on fourth down for Alabama, uh, fourth and goal to send the game into another overtime frame. Anyway, it was a great weekend for sports. Uh, it was a great time off for sports. We had a lot to get into. A lot of things happened. So many things happened, in fact, that we have not even mentioned. The, the NHL's annual showcase event, the Winter Classic, happened yesterday, right down the road in Seattle. Did you watch it? I, watched, I don't know if you did. I watched one minute and I was like, nope. Did, did you see the fish tunnel? Nope. That was the best part. Fish tunnel. We mm. will talk to our next guest. Did you guest. see my boy, Joey Decord? I did. The first shutout in Winter Classic history. Kudos to right. Joey Decord. He's just okay. <laughs> I um, knew it was coming. <laughs> we will talk to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN coming up next about that and a whole lot more across the NHL. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. I think this is the earliest we've returned to work in an awfully long time. January 2nd, back on the air. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet, 650. When do we normally return? 
usually like at least a week into the new year. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't remember working this early ever. I'm, you normally still hung over. This You've morning. never got to break down now, outdoor but... classic so soon after I know. it happened. Right. Why do you keep calling it an outdoor classic, by the way? It's a winter classic. Sorry, Folks, the winter classic. It's the winter classic. Get the branding correct. That's right. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. 2024 means that hour one is now brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. We are joined by our next guest from ESPN, Greg Wyshynski here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate the fact that you guys refuse to give Winter any further free advertising. Yeah. Like they are the title sponsor of the Outdoor Classic. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, but since Winter hasn't cut you in at all, mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that you're not allowing them to uh, just get more free advertising on your show. Ah, yes. The Outdoor Classic. Brought to you by Enterprise. And winter. <laughs> winter. Uh, what did you think of the Winter Classic, Greg? I know you were, is this still, quote unquote, must-see TV in your world? Or has this become a watered-down version of, I didn't, re- 2008, 15 years ago was the first time we had one of these. And now, it's, it's this. It's, it's must-see if you have the right venue. And, like, putting the Golden Knights and the Kraken inside of a fairly recently built baseball stadium i imagine i don't i mean it I feels new <laughs> like i mean it's not the kingdom so that's good yeah it's not the kingdom right it really, it really doesn't do i mean that's that's to me that's how you make the game must see is that it's it's venue based and you know i was i was been reminiscing about the winter classics recently we did an episode of the drop that that gave our best and worst to them and things like that and you know the cotton bowl was like for me one of the last ones that really stood out as being a unique venue and kind of unique teams. Notre Dame was like that. I mean, there's still some in recent years that I think were must-see in the sense of, like, I got to see what a hockey game in this place looks like. But, like, yesterday's was not that. It felt very stadium series to me. And that's that's not to, to bemoan it. I mean, it, it was a very successful event, and people who went apparently had a really good time. And obviously the home team fans had a really, really good time with the way that the Kraken played. But... Um, you know, it, 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 it's not to say that the winter classic is dead or like outdoor games suck or whatever. It's just like yesterday's kind of felt a little perfunctory and now it's been a couple of those in a row. So they, they really need to find their next like Wrigley or, or, or something, um, to, yeah. to kind of like juice it up a little bit. I just, I, I just think the whole thing for me, uh, is, is tired. Um, and that might be because Halford and I actually had to go and cover a few of those things. So we had to go and do the, like, not that it wasn't, it was awesome. Like the, the one in Michigan and Michigan at the big house was, was incredible. I mean, that was, that was one of the, one of the greatest spectacles I've ever seen when it comes to sports. It was incredible. But for me, you know, I was reading a little bit of the coverage into this one and it was kind of like they were struggling to find like cool things to talk about. Like they did their predictable you know i saw a few stories on like you guys grew up playing outdoor hockey and now you're playing outdoor hockey again and i'm sure the players are like i've already done this before like i played an outdoor classic four or five years ago i told my stories about you know growing up in north battleford saskatchewan and uh you know put and, and and playing outdoor hockey and after a while you just like for me i just i just zone out because i'm kind of like yeah i don't 
Like like you say, like I didn't care about the venue. I've seen lots of baseball games there. Watching the Mariners, I didn't particularly care about the teams playing in it. You know, and do you ever really care about the teams playing in this outdoor classic? Like I, I don't know, but I, I don't know what. What, I don't know what they can do to uh, make this even better, or if they should even try. I mean, do they? Can they just like keep giving it to cities that want one, and they'll sell the game out, they'll put it on TV, and that'll be that. That's a really good point about like you know the the boys in the pond Canadian exceptionalism like fable that they've been telling since like the mid nineteen nineties with these guys. You can't really do it anymore. Like, you can't go to Alex Petrangelo and be, and be like, right. the novelty of playing outdoors. He's like, dude, I played in St. Louis, and I'm now in Vegas. Like, it's not <laughs> a big deal for me anymore. Um, that's a really good point. It's kind of become really commonplace. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'll say the same thing I, I, I always say about these outdoor games, which is that it, as a television product, it probably has lost a lot of its luster again, unless you give me a venue <clears throat> that I really care about, right? Um, but as an event, as a thing you attend, as a, as a, a, a when, it, when the, the circus comes to your town, it's still incredible. Like it is very much like the all-star game now, where as a televised event, you can maybe run hot and cold on it. But as a, as a, a thing you attend, it is like the gathering place of all your hockey friends. It's, you know, they, they, you know, have the midway, usually you go outside to the fan fest and stuff like that. The, the, and then, you know, the guys dressing up like Elvis and, you know, the, the people who throw fish, like it's, it's fun. Like it, there's a lot of quirkiness and kitschiness to it that I think still really works, but ultimately it definitely works better as an event that you attend and you tailgate for and everything. Uh, and you buy your, your hat for 50 bucks, than you know, settling in and watching it for two hours before Michigan and Alabama starts. We're speaking to Greg Wachinski from ESPN here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I know recently, Greg, you guys did your latest version of your trade tiers, T-I-E-R-S, uh, on ESPN. And it's hard not to look at this upcoming trade deadline and focus on the goalie market because it's flush and it's robust and everyone's talking about it. But there's the two-parter here. I also want to get to the Steve Stamkos tier. But uh, right now... I guess there's a two-parter. One, how is the goalie market shaping up? And two, what are the Toronto Maple Leafs going to do to address their goaltending situation? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Montreal is a real interesting aspect of the goalie trade market. Uh, I think Jake Allen could probably help most teams that are searching to try to stabilize the position, and no one's really sure what they want to do there. The Blue Jackets, I mean, Bruce Lickens, I think, wants a change in scenery, and uh, and they've got a couple of, of pieces in play there, too. Um, you know, the, it, it's and then, you know, Vimelka with the Coyotes, with the emergence of Connor Ingram, I think they like their tandem a lot, but, you know, there's always the possibility of if they want to move him, there's going to be teams that jump on that because of not only the way he plays, but his contract status. So, I don't. I don't really know what some of these teams are going to do. I mean, that are that are currently flailing, uh, and the Leafs being the primary example of it. There's guys that are available. We're not quite sure what the price is going to be, and and who ultimately could move before the deadline. Um, if you've got a goalie, you might want to hang on to him as long as you can because the prices are going to be insane when you finally get to the deadline. Um, but you know, we saw some sign off, and we saw Comrie go through waivers. Nobody claimed them, so. Even uh, even teams that are searching for goaltending help know that there are certain goalies that may not ultimately help, especially ones that uh, the carrier price tag vis-a-vis, say, like Jack Campbell. 
could the Leafs just wait until Joseph Wall is back and hope they don't fall out of a playoff position by then? Sure. I mean, they they could do a lot of things. <laughs> you know, they could they could do what Tampa did earlier this year and just score their way out of their problems yeah. until their goaltending gets healthy. Um, you know, and, and by the way, one of the one of the more bizarre stories this year has to be the fact that like Tampa thrives with uh, with with the, without without their star goaltender, and then the minute he comes back, he kind of like can't find the thread. Uh, and Vasilevsky's not really been himself at all this year, so. Um, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but I, but I think if you ask a Leafs fan, like whatever plan B is, it's going to be better than what Ilya Samsonov was giving them. What would you peg Tampa's chances of making the playoffs at this point? Because it sure isn't 100%, and I'm looking at teams below them currently out of the playoff bar. Like New Jersey, I think, will make the playoffs, and Pittsburgh, oh. you know, I keep looking at their goal differential. Like they got a plus 14 goal differential. That's a good team in Pittsburgh. I know they've struggled, but, you know, I – I would bet on them to make it, and that's obviously going to knock a few teams out. Well, the biggest problem for the Lightning and, and from the numbers situation is that the Bruins, the Panthers, and the, the Maple Leafs are the teams that are ahead of them in, in the Atlantic. And, and it's hard to conceive unless the, the Leafs completely fall apart because of their goaltending situation. Not, not, any of those teams vacating the top three in that division, which means now your focus is on the wild card. And like you said, when it comes to the wild card, it's, it's pretty crowded. I mean, the Islanders have, have maintained uh, their pace kind of remarkably. The Capitals are right there. And then you said, like, the Devils and the Penguins are, uh, are teams that we still haven't seen the best from. And then the, the Red Wings are still a team that can kind of, like, probably surge back up at some point. So um, I, I noticed that a twinge of surprise in your voice when you said, you know, could the, could the, the Lightning miss the playoffs? You're talking to somebody who picked them to miss the playoffs. Because oh, okay. Oh yeah, I was I was unconvinced. At some point, the atrophy of a supporting cast catches up with a really good team. Yeah, and the, the 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 players that were on that roster beyond the top six are like unrecognizable versus Gord and Coleman and Goudreau and and like you know Kalorn and all these guys that they've had through the years. And on their blue line, like there's no Ryan McDonough back there anymore. And and so at some point, all of that catches up with you. And I felt like it was going to be this year, especially with how strong the Atlantic was going to be. So it wouldn't shock me to see a miss. And I, I also think that, to, it, you guys mentioned Stamkos before real quick, like <laughs> the tell on that was the way that, that Julian Brisebois handled the Stamkos thing. The Stamkos thing was not necessarily, we're not sure if Steven Stamkos is worth the money. The Stamkos thing was, we may need to use your money to make the rest of the team better because the rest of the team ain't good. <laughs> like right. that was sort of the underlying message before the season. So, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked. To, I'm not shocked to see where they are, and I wouldn't be shocked to see if they miss. What's the actual likelihood of him getting traded by the deadline? The likelihood is, is I don't know, because like I, I, when I wrote the trade tiers thing, I revisited the situation that we had the last time he was almost a free agent, and it got to the point where <laughs> – where Steve Eiserman actually had to put out a press release to shut down the speculation. That's right. Yeah. Because it was so rampant that this guy was going to get traded. Um, look, I, it's hard to conceive a situation in which Stamkos and the Lightning can't figure something out to keep him uh, a Lightning for life. But that being said, I mean, if you told me eight years ago that Taves and Kane wouldn't be Blackhawks today, like, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> like, these things do happen. And, and Stevens, look, it's, Steven's got a ton of pride for what that team has accomplished. He loves being in that area. 
there's no question that it, he wants to finish his career with the Tampa Bay Lightning, but he's also a very prideful guy and he knows his worth. And like, if this team is going to come in here and nickel and dime him because they mismanaged their cap, um, it's not going to fly and, and he'll go someplace else. Like I, I'm, I'm not, uh, that wouldn't shock me at all to see it happen. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they trade it before the deadline. If they've got a shot at trying to make the playoffs and, you know, potentially make a, 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 some 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 hay in the postseason with him on the roster. So, uh, wish it's it is the new year, and um, let's revisit your Stanley Cup pick. Remind me who did you? I picked the Devils, and that's not looking very good right now. But remind me who you picked to win the Stanley Cup. I picked the Edmonton Oilers, a team that is uh, okay currently three points out of the last wild card spot with one game in hand on the. Arizona Coyotes. Again, the teams in front of the Oilers this winter, the Nashville Predators, mm-hmm. the Arizona Coyotes, and the Seattle Kraken. Uh, uh, not exactly scaling Everest here for my team to get into the playoffs, but uh, yeah, the Oilers were my pick. Are you going to stick with them as your pick? Like, if you were if you were to just wipe all obligations off the table, um, would you still pick Edmonton, or would you would you go with another team? I want to know about the gonna... Rangers. Like, I want to know if these guys are for real because the Canucks are going to see. The New York Rangers, they're going to see the New Jersey Devils soon uh, on, their, on their road trip. Am I going to pick a team that's won five games in a row, that's got the two best players in the world on their roster, um, that is a, a, an absolute freight train chugging up the Western Conference standings as we speak? Am I going to stick with that team to win the Cup? I feel like you are. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that team to win the Cup. I'm okay. still confident the Oilers are going to figure this thing out. And again, the, the thing for them is their path to the playoffs is, is probably – more manageable than it is for like a team like the Devils, who you know. Look again. I, I I didn't see what the the recent numbers were, but at one point within the last like week and a half, the Eastern Con- <laughs> the Eastern Conference had something along the lines of like twelve out of out of uh, you know twelve teams that were above five hundred. Yeah. And in the it, or maybe it was like fourteen, and in the West it was like ten. Like it was embarrassing the disparity between the two conferences and the fact that the Eastern conference was filled with so many more teams that were having, you know, incredible playoff worthy seasons versus the Western conference. And again, that's why I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're going to make it like the mm-hmm. teams in front of them are not insurmountable in any way. Um, although the top three in the Pacific still kind of looks like it might be a, a difficult task. They'll get in and then they just have to kind of, you know, figure it out from there i still think it would be hilarious if the la kings won the division and then the oilers snuck into the wild card and the kings were like oh come (laughs) on again yeah there's i mean there's there is a very big sort of boston toronto vibe right now between those two teams (laughs) meeting in the playoffs and they're like the last team you want to see like all your good work in the regular season if you're the kings then you have to go and figure out how not to lose to Connor and Leon again in the playoffs. It would, it would kind of stink. But the Kings for me are, are like the Rangers in the sense of like how, how high can they fly? Like yeah. the Rangers are, are real good. Uh, again, like we're, we're putting the Rangers over like they're the jugger, like a juggernaut of the league. They're one point ahead of Boston. <laughs> they're like four points ahead of, uh, or, or three, three points ahead of, of everybody in the top three in the, in the central. So they're great and they're very good and they've beaten some good teams. They play great hockey, but by no means are the Rangers like a team that is head and shoulders above some of the elite teams in this league right now. Um, Panarin, tell us a little bit about the season that he's having because he did not have a very good postseason. A lot of people are going to still wonder about this guy if he's made for playoff hockey or regular season hockey. He's been awesome. I mean, and obviously the lesson is if you're struggling, shave your head. 
I mean, that's clearly the the, <laughs> right. the path forward. Yeah. But I give him credit. I mean, like the, the the hair thing was symbolic of sort of the recommitment uh, to Panarin to to really train this off season and 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 get in the right mindset and grit and get in the right physicality to come back and and be strong because he was you know in talking to him after that playoff run last year you know, ended in one round, like he was, he was super embarrassed. They were all embarrassed, but he took it really hard. He took it really personally that his statistical failings in that series were one of the reasons the Rangers didn't advance with what was a really good team. So I wasn't surprised to see him come back and, and be as, as on point as he's been this season. Um, I, I do find it interesting that that hasn't necessarily translated to award support. We did our la- latest NHL Awards Watch today on ESPN, where we have the actual voters uh, share their ballots on, on who's leading for each award. And, and Panarin got a little bit of love down the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, he may have gotten, like, I think um, maybe like one or two votes for first place. Mm-hmm. But right now it's, it's McKinnon with a lead and then Quinn Hughes and Kucherov as the other two favorites for the award. And Panarin isn't, isn't quite yet, yet there. And I think part of that is probably the Rangers' balance offensively. And part of it is just maybe he doesn't necessarily have the same sort of outstanding versus his teammate season as someone like Kucherov does. Real quick on the Coach of the Year um, award, has Torts been catching up to talk at all? Uh, he certainly has been. Yeah, he's he's a strong second choice right now behind Taka. Taka's still the leader. He's still he's still the guy that I think most people credit for the the season that the uh, Canucks are having. Um, one of the one of the things that the Jack Adams. Uh, always seems to go to is defensive improvement mm-hmm. and the fact that the Canucks have gone from like 26 to like top five in the league uh, defensively I think speaks well to the sort of structure he's given him speaks well to Thatcher Demko being healthy and like the Vesna guy too but <laughs> coaches also get credit for that as well uh, whether they deserve it or not but yeah there's a, I think if the Flyers make the playoffs though like that is that's the major obstacle for Tockett like Tortorella uh, is, we've seen it before from him. He gets the lion's share of the credit when his team does this. And, uh, and they've hung around, man. Like, a, to, to have a Flyers team in a playoff position in January is something nobody predicted. And if they somehow squeak in, um, it's going to be towards his team, towards his credit, and ultimately maybe towards his Jack Adams. Uh, real quick, before we let you go, uh, PWHL debuts yesterday, so you had the Winter Classic, the Professional Women's Hockey League as well. Toronto <laughs> shut out 4 nothing by New York, so a good start for the league. Toronto getting shut out. Uh, curious to get your thoughts, takeaway feedback from Game 1 of the PWHL season. It was good. I watched a little bit of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's one, I mean, <clears throat> listen, I've waited for years. I've covered this thing, you guys know, since like the nwhl days and uh and that circus of a league at times and and it was awesome to see the best players you know in in the world um you know in one league as they call it uh do i wish that maybe there had been a little bit more runway for them to get branding in place yeah. and uh team names and that nature absolutely i think it would have helped immeasurably um but it did bring me back to those early days of the nwhl when you know, the crowds were massive for the debut of a, of a, of a pro women's league and seeing the lines outside of the, uh, the arena yesterday was sort of reminiscent of that. And I hope that the buzz builds and, and, um, and the play is good and, and people uh, check out the league. Cause I mean, this is the start of something that's going to be around for a really long time, I think. And, and it was inspiring to see yesterday. Greg, happy new year, buddy. Thanks a lot for doing this as always. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. 
Anytime, boys. Thanks. Thanks. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Quick update from the World Juniors in Sweden. If you're taping the game, it's 2024. What are you doing taping games? But uh, if you are taping the game, turn away. Turn off your radio. No spoilers here if you don't listen right now. Uh, Canada has scored to make it 2-1 Czechia. So cutting in to the Czechia 2-0 lead after going in to the uh, first intermission. They are about 12 minutes into the second frame, so six and a half left. The math's not right on that one. Former Victoria Grizzly, Matt Wood. Thank you, Greg. Very well done. Nashville Predators process. So we will be keeping tabs on that one throughout. Again, uh, 6.33 left in the second period. Czechia is still up 2-1 on Canada in quarterfinal number two from the World Juniors in Sweden. We got an open segment on the other side. A couple questions to kick around, although... You're free to ask your own questions by texting them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Um, a couple questions I got. Are the Canucks going to need to add another top six winger before the trade deadline? Yes. Uh, okay, well, we don't need to talk about that. A-Dog's already waiting. Check that off the list. Uh, here's the second one, and we've got some – I, I want to read some Thatcher Demko remarks um, from an article that IMAC wrote. Um, is it fair to say that the Canucks have yet to earn the benefit of the doubt from fans and analysts, even though they've had a great start to the season? And we're not talking about five or six or seven games. Like, they're almost halfway through the schedule, and their record is very impressive. But is it fair to say that the Canucks have yet to earn the benefit of the doubt yes. from any negative? Okay, well, a dogs answered that one. So we're going to need some new topics on the other side of the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650.